Welcome to this week's episode of The Modern Good. I'm your host, Busy Gold, and Conscious Construction starts right now. Hey everybody, Busy Gold here with my best friend, my dark sister from another mister, Miss Jade Electra. I'm so excited to have you here. This has been a long time coming. Do we know that we're from different misters though? Because we haven't done the DNA test, so it is possible. We haven't. I mean, if we if we go with the way certain things are running in (laughs) politics right now, it's like, well, you can't prove that I'm not exactly, but also not willing to take a DNA test. So. Probably not, but on an interdimensional plane, perhaps, we have the same mister. I would not be surprised. <laughs> or maybe it's non-gendered. Oh, I like that. Yeah, I'll go with that. Solid. We've got the same creative source. <laughs> it's fine. So, you guys have just been listening to a chat on why self-love is such a hard concept to grasp, but also to apply in your life. And I've been talking a lot to the audience about how the structure of the way the healing and spiritual community is working right now, there's almost this shift toward almost this beginner mindset of, of course you can have self-love. Like, Mm -hmm. you just claim it. You just affirm (laughs) it. It's just a mantra. You just manifest it. And I feel like it leaves a lot of people in a position where they end up then feeling even more so like a failure or like Mm -hmm. they're not enough because despite all of the webinars they've listened to, all the seminars they've gone to, workshops, this concept of just reaching out and claiming it or just affirming that they have self-love is not quite something that helps them arrive in that place. So my first question to you is how would you describe true grounded self-love? What does it mean? Also, I think it's important to know I know none of these questions. So let's see. True grounded self-love feels like, I mean, to me in my life right now, it means that I love myself before I love my lover. And I think I've never really felt that ever before in a true way that no matter how much I love someone else, I have to come first and I do come first. I have a tattoo on my ribs that says, I am mine before I'm ever anyone else's. And I got that at a time I didn't feel that way. And it was like my way, like I talked to you about earlier, is like tattoos to me are such an initiation and such this like powerful commitment. At least that's how I view my own. And I knew when I etched it into my body, one of the most painful spots, that it was just me having this, like, this is the journey beginning. And, um, yeah, I think it's simply to me is just the proof in the pudding for me in my life is just that I love myself before I love the person I love more than anyone else in the world. And that I genuinely could go anywhere in the world and be utterly alone and just feel this sense of home in myself and not with someone else, which gives me chills. But Me too. So I think you touched on something that is important and also resonates with some concepts that I just taught the viewers before we shifted focus to our interview, which is that commitment piece. Mm -hmm. And that's where I think a lot of this goes wrong with the teaching of mantras or just claiming Mm -hmm. it or it already is. You just have to decide that it is. (laughs) Really what those things are describing is this act of commitment to 
the transformational aspects and the growth that get you to self-love. It's not that just simply by committing it is. There has to be exactly. follow-through and mm-hmm. action to get you to actually experience it and to integrate it into all aspects of your being. Mm-hmm. So I love that idea of the commitment piece because that is that is what needs to happen. And the, after the commitment, that's where you have to take the risk, right? Mm-hmm. If you are afraid of being alone what better way than to try to dig deep in self-love than to actually put yourself in a place where you have to be alone yeah. with your thoughts, where there's nobody mm-hmm. to rescue you, mm-hmm. there's no one to pull you out of your shitty mood, there's no one to switch your bad thoughts if you all of a sudden get overcome by some sort of you know drowning in past drama. Cycle. So that's that commitment. You have to be willing to take the leap and learn how to do these things and have these skills in that moment that you would think would be your worst fear, mm-hmm. only to see that it's your biggest strength. Exactly. If what, you stay long enough to yes. find that out. Right. Well, and that's that you've got to keep seeing it through. It requires mm-hmm. consistent <laughs> action. And to not just assume that once you find those moments, that without consistent work, it's just going to stay that way forever. <laughs> exactly. So another question I have for you that... I think a lot of people that follow your journey, because a lot of us have seen the ebbs and flows of your life. You're very open and honest and authentic. All the heartbreak. All of it out there, but also all the love, which you and yeah, I have spoken yeah. about too, which I actually think that putting the love out there puts you even more at risk, which we've 100%. talked about. Yeah. Because then people have this concept of she's arrived. And once somebody's arrived, then they can crash off their pedestal, right? So that actually, to me, is more vulnerable. When I've seen you pour your heart out on your Instagram posts about being in love and what that feels like and showing how deeply you're in it, that, to me, leaves you in a much more vulnerable place than admitting that you're in pain because people are used to the pain. So what did that feel like to actually commit to pouring equal amount of truth out about being in love, knowing that sometimes relationships are in a state of flux and that it doesn't necessarily exist in this iteration forever. Exactly. Um, Such a good question. So funny because I thought that being in love would be the easiest thing I've ever written about because I've just dreamed of this moment in the way that it is in my life forever. Um, But it's actually the hardest thing for me to write about for so many reasons. And I remember the first time that I, one of the things I talked about with my lover with Danny right before we, when we realized like what the magnitude of this, which was like day one, um, was that, you know, I share so much of my life on my Instagram. Like, are you, I I specifically wanted someone to help me kind of lead people into, you know, believing. Cause what I realized in my life is if you don't have a couple that you believe in, you can't even anchor into that energy. So I took a year collecting couples that I believed in. So I kind of spoke to him about that and he's like, yeah, like I'm down. But I also realized in sharing that this is so sacred to me that I'm very protective of a lot of aspects. So the first time I ever posted something, it was like a love letter, day one. <laughs> but I just go all in, as you know, as everyone that follows me knows. If you read, read one post, you get it. And I remember this one comment that it was from a guy, and he said, because I obviously in seven years have been through many heartbreaks, and um, he said, oh, just wait till the day that he breaks up with you and you're back here again crying over someone that again left you. And it was just such a, it was like a little salt in, in the wound I didn't know was still there. And a belief that I was like, wait, what? I had to kind of sit and, and think about that. And I just think that for me, it's been really, I also have a, a very big responsibility towards him because I don't want people, people are very judgmental in this relationship 
than any of the other ones. I've actually never gotten any backlash before now, and I think it's because the potency of it is very visceral for a lot of people. And I had so many people when I first posted saying, I liked you better single. I liked you better sad. I liked you better in pain. And it was such a slap from people that... You know, because we're like they're operating, they're operating in their wounds, and they exactly. liked you better when they can Relatable. see themselves mm-hmm. in you, and it didn't feel like you were somehow above them, which it's is not really the case. But if somebody's sick. in pain and then they see you magically being out of it, it it creates that divide, which is really just the the ego influencing the perception. Exactly, and I think I had to actually reframe my structure of the way I thought of it. My mind is like okay, for a second, I'm like, shit, am I leaving a group of people behind? And it was really just this moment, like I have chills right now, where I was like, no, this is a journey uphill. We've, we've sat in the dumps. We've dissected our wounds. Like I've sat in them for so long. And I kind of described the way I've healed myself, like looking at the rot and just like ripping with my fingers, not being a qualified doctor, not being a qualified of any knowledge, just doing it rogue so that I could figure out the ways to not do it and lead other people out. And this is the exact re-engineering of like the architecture of love and the way you get there. And I just got this crazy download in the span of us dating and the year that it took me to get to the space where I was ready and specifically called in like a few days before I met, this is what I want. But I think just, it is, it is so terrifying. And I, when I write about him, I almost like it's, as I'm writing, I'm like, uh, uh, and that's not how I write. I like literally black out and my thumbs just go and I read it after. But with him, it's like sometimes I get stuck because there's just no, I also don't usually write when I'm in something. It seems like also maybe the hesitancy is that in this regard, it's almost like you're taking control of bearing both of your souls simultaneously because mm, so many aspects wow. of it are private. So I can see where that resistance would come because there's so many intimate, vulnerable moments that mm-hmm. happen in a relationship that by you writing, you're basically commandeering his wow. right to bear his soul. Well, fuck, busy. I never saw it like that, but now, sorry, Danny. That's really powerful. And I've seen people say they won't speak on an aspect because they're like, there's two sides to story and they won't even address... Like a a few of my friends on Instagram that have had big breakups have specifically said, I'm not going to talk about this because the other person is not speaking and it doesn't seem right for me to to speak about it in a generalized sense. And I really like that. I think that's true. And I check in with him every so often. There was one post that I wrote and I specifically asked him before. I was like, I never have asked anyone, but this was the one where he had called me out like two months in where I said, you're not committed to me. And he said, you're not committed to yourself. And I, I just, I felt without knowing that it was going to be make a big wave. And it was by far my most like controversial post where a lot of older women, um, I got in trouble for using that word the other day because what is an older woman? Well, it's someone that's older than you and it's not to mean a certain demographic or an age, just uh, old women that were older than me. Women that perceive themselves to be your elder yes, in some way. Thank yeah. you so much. Mm-hmm. Just to clarify that part. Um, were writing to me thinking, saying this was a massive abuse and that love should just accept you for who you are. I and fucking exactly hate the word are. acceptance. I, no. Fuck the word okay. acceptance. If we're doing that, then I, I hate the word enough. Me Fuck too. the word enough. Let's acceptance. Yeah. So for those of you that are out there chanting, I am enough. I accept <laughs> myself. You're so much fucking more. Fuck that. Yes. Acceptance infers that there's something about it that is not 
ideal or exactly what you want. It is, it's almost equivalent to capitulation. It's like waving your white flag and being like, fuck it, this will be enough. Wait, it's not for me, but for those of us that don't know what capitulation is. Capitulation <laughs> is like, it's like a quitting, but almost mm. with a an oh. air of complacency. Like, this isn't exactly the way I want it, but it's good enough for me. Mm, I see. Like, just accepting Decided. mediocrity. Yeah. yeah. Gotcha. And that's not the way self-love is supposed to be, and that's certainly not the way intimate mm. love is supposed to be. Like, I accept these <laughs> shitty qualities about you. I know, and that's a big conversation we had that we both agreed, like, we never want to sit on a couch eating potato chips because that wasn't what we wanted. We both very intensely, you know, I don't like the word manifest either, but, like, crafted in our minds the idea of a partner who was going to push us in all the ways that we hadn't ascended to another level. But not to push, like, he's not, like, going, Jade, you gotta do this. He's, like, reminding me of the commitments that I have spoken about wanting to do and I'm reminding him about the commitments that he's spoken it's not like you're you're fat you need to work out I'm like you said this is your goal and I said this is my goal they can hold you in integrity Uh uh-huh so I think for our listeners one of the concepts that I talk a lot about and I can feel like you have the same resistance to this manifestation word I think mostly because it's I think been used against people to rob them of their perception of like power over their own person and their sovereignty Mm -hmm. so to me just for the listeners, I would like to redefine manifestation mm-hmm. in terms of kind of that commitment and declaration of your truth or your orientation. I usually look at it as like GPS coordinates, right? Oh. So as a couple, yes. you have to work together to call out GPS coordinates so that you can tell if one person has taken a sharp left and is no longer heading towards the <laughs> GPS. So when you're manifesting, it's not simply just like, I want this and I'm going to put it in a box while making every single other action I take in my life in opposition to what's in the box, (laughs) hoping that if I have it in a, you know, manifestation box, I know my ex-husband used to have this Ganesh box and he's like, Ganesh is the remover of obstacles. (laughs) And if you just write it in this box and I just always would just sit there and laugh and be like, listen, I'm going to put this shit in the Ganesh box while also (laughs) following it up with personal action. So um, I think as long as people are following up their manifestation with action and seeing through their role in co-creation, I think it's it's not a bad term. It just needs to be something that's a little bit more responsible and not passive so you and Danny were orienting this GPS coordinate toward Mm -hmm. the relationship path that you guys wanted to go and and so he had just so I'm a classic overgiver and I I heard this quote I think it's by Gary Vee and he said if you're a giver to receive you're not a giver you're a manipulator and I was like you know it just really really yeah it dropped into my body in a powerful way though I'm at a place now where it's like it doesn't whiplash me. It feels like empowerment. Holy shit. Now I know what I'm giving, asking myself that big question of why, for what. And um, anyway, so he just... And is it coming from reciprocity? Okay, let's I've, define that just yeah. in case of the listeners. Okay, so <laughs> one of the things that I talk a lot about in my work with Break Method, especially in the context mm-hmm. of intimate relationships, is that when you are a sovereign person, right, like we can establish mm-hmm. in your body you contain 100% of Jade's <laughs> energy, right? And then Danny and his body contains 100% of Danny's energy. Mm-hmm. But when you come together in an intimate relationship, you are sharing. Mm. Imagine that both of you come together and that you form one circle, right? Yes. Now together in your sharing, you have 100% energy. So based on give and take mm-hmm. and actions, you end up accidentally robbing each other 
of energy exchange and it can create a lot of dysfunction, not just in your communication and in your, you know, emotional state, but also in your physical body. If you don't really pay attention to how the energy is exchanged. So to me, the reciprocity would be what for him lies on the other side of you giving and how is that, how does that come back around to you? What form does it take? What emotion does it take? And what energy does it take? So, uh, receptivity, same thing. Receptivity is your ability to like receive and kind of reflect back ideas. Reciprocity is like energy meets energy. It's like playing a ping pong game. Like if I were to hit the ping pong ball to you, mm. are you gonna just let the ping pong ball hit you and be like, Duh? Uh, or are you gonna, yes, or are you gonna like <laughs> hit the ping pong ball back? And the way that you hit the ping pong ball back is indicative of the energetic exchange. Mm. Like if you're hitting with giving, what is he responding back with? So that you can take an energetic read on what the relationship looks like inside. So in that Gary Vee quote, like, are you doing this just to manipulate? Like, are you giving, giving, giving? Because there's really some other energetic deficit in the relationship that you're hoping mm-hmm. he's somehow going to pick up on and actually start to give back. So the irony, cor- correct, and thank you for defining all those things. I should bring my dictionary next time. But the, it's all good. I'm right, I'm right <laughs> here. True. Can you do everything for me? Great. Um, so the irony was that I wasn't giving to manipulate, but I, but, well, wait, let me see what I'm saying. What I realized in that quote and him telling me that he's like, I can't commit to you because you haven't committed to yourself. And I was like, but what does that matter? Because I've committed to you. And it it is true in my past relationships, I've given 100% overboard to that person but without being grounded, right, and self love with myself, so it ends up taking a little bit more codependency. Oh yeah, like, I, like you take on that person. I like identity. burned down my sailboat, jumped onto their shitty raft, and was like, "This is fine." Just like you know, trying to I'll do all the paddling yeah, and hold the logs together because they're falling apart. So it was just the first time that I realized like I didn't need to commit to myself to have to give him what he was asking for, which was to be fully committed to him. But it wasn't coming from a very sustainable place that is real and would be an actual thing that would propel our relationship forward. And to me, oh, yes, no, go ahead. You have something good. Mm-mm, no, nope. nothing? You're just going to suck it no, back in? No, I'm not going to suck it back in. I'm going to let you finish your thought, and <laughs> okay. then I'm going to hit you with it. <laughs> oh, this looked good. I saw your little eyes light up. Um, so it was just a powerful moment for me to say, ah, gosh, it, to me it was just like a soulmate is always reflecting back yourself and I had this crazy vision one time when I, was, I used to teach a rehab class for um, addiction yoga and it was at this park in Dana Point and there's this there's this like um there's this crazy uh all these trees that look like this my favorite place in Kauai and I was teaching and I was like very passionately in what I was saying and I all of a sudden looked up and at the end of the trees I saw Danny in a, in a tux it was like clearly our wedding day but as I looked longer it turned from his face into mine Like as if I was walking down the aisle to myself and it was just the second time that I've had a vision like that with him. The first was before we were even together, I was in a yoga class and I was deep in this like meditation ether and I just saw, um, my grandma has these, it's called, uh, nesting dolls. Have you seen those little dolls in Russia? Mm -hmm. So she bought, she used to travel the world and she'd bring these dolls back and I had like nine or 10. And when I was, um, little, I was so protective of them because they're hand painted, they're beautiful. And my little cousin was like, let me hold this one. It was like so tiny. It was like my new, yeah, like an ant. And I was like, do not break this. Like this is so important to me. And he drops it on the porcelain. And as it drops, it bursts into two pieces and actually three because there was another one inside that I didn't know about. And that was when I was nine. Like I kind of just tucked that memory away for some reason. And then in this vision now when I'm 30, I have this vision of 
um, it was, I was actually dating someone else when I met Danny and it was, his face was the top nesting doll and all of a sudden it came off and it was Danny's face and then it came off and it was Danny's face and then it came off a bunch more times and all of a sudden the end, that little piece that fell was my own. Yeah. And I've just never fucking had anyone just be enough in their own energy and grounding and like, I don't know how to explain it. Just enough to reflect the mirror. Always, our relationship always comes back to ourselves in a really healthy way. Like, yeah. Anyway, that's what I would say. Love that. <laughs> it's a lot. Physical. It is. It is. I mean, of course it's a lot. Relationships are a lot. They push you. They push you in ways that other types of relationships won't push you. And I think it's where the most growth can happen because the vulnerability stakes are so high. God, yeah. It's like learning how to walk a balance beam on the edge of a cliff, naked. you know? Like if you were naked. Covered in honey. Like in a windstorm. And there's bees. With bees. <laughs> Instead of learning how to walk a balance beam like in a gymnastics mm-hmm. place with mats on the side where you know like, okay, well, yeah. the stakes aren't so high here. I can get back up. So one of the things that to touch on when you said like I can see in your eyes you have something to say. The reason that I think a lot of these moments of friction happen where you kind of, you see that one way you can get really depleted and that person can kind of bounce back and be like, see, like, what you're showing me, this is the mirror back to you and this is why you're getting off course. And, like, for him saying, like, you're not committed to yourself. Mm -hmm. That type of energetic exchange, if you look at, I'd like to look at the energetic exchange over the course of the relationship instead of just like moment by moment because things happen in our world that we have no control over and sometimes you really do need to lean into your partner mm-hmm. need to be there for you in ways that are probably like over giving very true uh but when you look at the lifetime of that relationship and you kind of measure what the give and take is you can tell like take a look at the sustainability of the relationship mm-hmm. and it seems like each of you have a way to use those moments of friction to establish what's happening within myself that's creating my responses that are causing friction so that you can both look back within and figure out how to how to fix it 100%. So one of the things that I think you brought up in line with that Gary Vee quote about the like if you're just always giving all the time like however you said it something about it being like manipulative. Mm-hmm. I think manipulation in our society has a negative connotation obviously but really the act of manipulating if you think about it is really seeing that future outcome that Mm -hmm. you want and seeing a way that your responses actions and thoughts have an ability to affect that outcome Mm -hmm. so I would argue and I do this a lot with people in break method that there's certain aspects of your awareness of self and your awareness of where your intimate partner is that there are certain things that you can do to positively manipulate an outcome and try to get that, like reflect back to that person, the thing that they needed to reorient themselves. And it sounds like that's really what you and Danny are able to do for each other in your relationship. A hundred percent. I think it was more like a question I get a lot online is, I'm glad you brought that up because it's very well put. And as a teacher, I manipulate all the time because I can see where something will be beneficial without hand feeding. But um, I think a lot of women are like, I've put everything in this person and now they're gone. So I must be worthless. And that's all the question is like, how do I get back to full? And I think when that, that manipulation is like, you've convinced yourself that this is your soulmate. You've convinced yourself of all these flashcards that weren't really what was happening. So now the denial of being present with what is, is like robbing you of the getting to move on. 
Well, and you've mistaken your sovereign, unique identity with that of your partner. Exactly. And it shows if you're, if you walk out of a relationship feeling at all, like I've given everything to them and now I have nothing, it shows that you didn't have a grounded identity and thus circling back to the concept that we're talking about. You didn't have self grounded, sustainable self love in the first place because to genuinely love and connect in the we sense. And this is actually an episode that I did on my podcast last week. Moving through levels of consciousness, we start with this concept of I am, right? It's just like a very base level, like I am a human in a body, right? When you're a little kid, it's really just about survival. I'm a human in a body. Feed me, change my diaper. Please don't let me die. (laughs) Then you move on to level two consciousness, which is the understanding of differentiation. Like I'm different from Jade. Girls are different from boys. I'm different from my mom. We have different wants and needs. So you start to understand distinct energetic entities. Then when you move into level three, I proposed is the concept of I am you are and that makes me it's this experience of reflection like once I know who I am and I've defined what I think you are these are the things that brings back up in me Mm -hmm. and I think that's where a lot of people get stuck in intimate relationships because what's reflecting back to them they get stuck in this sense of reflection right we get stuck in our wound where as soon as we're with our partner and all of a sudden it's reflecting back to us like I'm not enough or I'm unsafe we mistakenly think we've given our all to them but really what we're doing is we're bypassing all the work and we're just going right to codependency and it's not really a we it's it's really just a them Mm -hmm. you're completely leaving yourself behind and I think it's because they get stuck in that reflection period so I think all of the work that I've watched you do leading up to Danny, mm-hmm. you've finally gotten to a place where no matter what he says or does, it doesn't have anything to reflect back to you because you know who the fuck you are. Nice. So when you then push into that level four consciousness, you can be a genuine we, which is like, I'm a sovereign entity, you're a sovereign entity, and if we're going to do this together, this is how we have to share energy. And then for those of you that might not have listened last time, and I won't go too far into the others, but when you move into the level five consciousness, especially in a relationship, that's where you start to draw the defining lines. Like if we are this, these are the rules and boundaries of our relationship for us to energetically thrive. And I feel like that's really where you and Danny are doing a lot of the work now is like, how do we, how do we do this while being able to remain energetically sovereign and intact but also push the energy and connection of our sense of we exactly while doing crazy amounts of work and jobs in different different complete directions and then I think I'll tell you this because I've never told anyone this and I've never done it before yes tell me all right tell me all the things that no one okay, has all ever the things, heard before I don't know if you to, you've heard some of those other night let's keep those off this microphone however Waka, what? that'll be for the <laughs> bonus Ooh. episode yeah we should do a whiskey episode anyhow back oh my to god back I've to actually it. dreamed about this let's I'm I have dreamed we're like every 10 to 15 minutes we just take a shot oh and see how weird god, it gets let's do it it would just get better though let's be honest it would so guys go on the comment section <laughs> after you listen to this and tell us all the concepts that you want to hear us discuss just, whilst drinking just, whiskey shots yes it would be Anyways, so bad back to the deep dark okay secret dark. nobody knows not super dark yet but this is just this actually feels light to me but whenever I have a moment so I was with all of his guy friends the other day at the beach and I just went into the water and I had this moment where I just I love him so much and normally that would pull me in this direction of like wanting to serve the relationship and it's just so different now and so I feel myself wanting to serve myself so that I there therefore it like trickles into the relationship and I just have this moment where I open my palms like towards the ocean my heart is open I'm just breathing and I can feel how cold the water is in my feet and I just kept saying to myself I am sovereign 
like that just word is just so deep in my my tissues right now it's like I am sovereign and then I'm able to turn around and see him smiling at me and I just it's just really fulfilling moment where I'm just like ah I know I've like anchored into myself I've cleared everything off the deck and I can really be present with him and just enjoy a different level of connection and imagine in that same tangible example because I think a lot of women experience kind of the opposite of what you just described because they are stuck in that reflection Mm -hmm. phase right Mm -hmm. so you didn't need him to reflect back to you in that moment that he's focused on you because you're focused on you so imagine how many women would be in that exact same situation looking at their friend not with them and with other friends and would either be triggered by jealousy or I wonder what they're talking about, right? Immediately jumping to conclusions and going into that negative wound side and imagine the look that he would have seen on that person's face and then what would have happened next. It would have actually created the exact tension and abandonment issues that they're actually afraid of. (laughs) So for those of you that are listening, your ability to be sovereign and not need an intimate partner to reflect back to you something that you should know yourself will only serve to make your relationship better. So if you haven't done that work for yourself, especially given the levels of consciousness that I just described to you, you have to go back and start from the beginning. Because one of the things that I see happens all the time too when I work with people in Break Method, one of the first things we do is a friends and family audit. And one of the questions is, you know, when we kind of dive deep on all these relationships, what was going on in your life when you attracted this person oh, to you, right? I love that. So if That's huge. It's huge, goals. right? Because wow. it shows you where was your energetic signature? Where were you functioning when you called this human being into your life? And have you continued to evolve in the same direction? Or have you rapidly been evolving away from each other? Or has one of you been evolving and the other one's just stayed exactly the same? I don't think people pay enough attention to these types of measure, like energetic measurements in so relationships. Simple. So Anyone simple. Anyone can do that. Anyone life change. That is that is a gift. You should charge a hundred dollars for this moment. No, okay, we're giving but. it we're giving it away free because everyone gets you, a chance. Everyone. Yeah, we love you. We want you guys to do the work, and we also want you to do the work because Jade and I have a million things planned for oh the next gosh. year that are going to push you so motherfucking far out of your comfort zone Into. that you're going to have to do this kind of work yes. in a you know in enough time to That's get to these physical, things. No more secrets out. No, I'm not giving any okay, secrets. Okay, okay. I'm just saying they're going to need to do some preliminary work to even be able to handle oh the stuff God, that we're yeah. going to dish out. So let's we'll just keep giving it. So question that I have kind of going back to this concept of self-love. I want you to close your eyes. For those of you that are listening, she did in fact close <laughs> her eyes. I want you to picture the last moment in your childhood that you remember experiencing true self-love and security and confidence and feeling like you had a right to exist and that people should be fucking proud and happy to be around you. Tell us about it. Wow. I don't know. I think maybe all I hear is seven. Um, because I think it was the last time I was in school that I felt like I just grew up very confident in myself and then I remember the very moment when like the first time in like seventh grade when some kid ran up to me and was like no one's gonna fuck you because you've got your arms are too hairy and it was just this like and my eyes are so closed because I just see all these things so vividly and I remember thinking like what the hell was fuck like I don't even even know what I didn't know I don't even care about my hairy arms what does this fuck word mean it just it was very strange and so I just I went to a catholic school I think that's part of it too and I think when 
just being seven years old was the last time that I felt completely um, not self-conscious. But then it was just a lifetime of like, it felt like just very various chips away of like aspects I didn't know. I, I remember like, I wrote this about this other day is, I didn't know that someone else's appearance could be offensive to someone else. I like genuinely didn't understand that concept. So when people kept talking about my outsides, I was like, but there's so much on the in, like, why are you even, I didn't even look at that on you. I didn't notice that you had, you know, you're chubby or that you have whatever. I don't even know. I can't even like pick that out because I just never, ever thought about that on someone else. It just kept happening where I was just so confused. Like, I just very have it too ingrained in me, like treat others the way you want to be treated. And I just always did that no matter what. I was given, which also fucked me very hard because I just <laughs> dated, you know, people who were very addicted to certain things. And but yeah, to answer your question and stay on track slightly is is seven probably because uh, otherwise, if I escaped to my backyard when I got home from school and it was just me and my imagination, I was lost, gone, whole, complete. But then it would just kind of you know be chipped away by certain things. So the average age reported in the U.S. of, in general, for women feeling the last time they ever felt self-confidence and self-love is age nine. That's about the average. I almost made it. You almost made it. (laughs) (laughs) You fell a little short. But regardless, there's a reason behind this, right? So in terms of consciousness development, chakra development, psychology, whatever framework you want to look at it, you hit that you hit that transitional phase between the experience of I am or like root chakra timeline where really you're just focused on basic survival and root chakra stability. Mm -hmm. And you just started to get into the concept of building identity and differentiation, right? So Mm -hmm. as soon as you realize that other people, when they go through that concept can come at you with negativity and things that start to make you think in a different way about how you were raised Mm -hmm. it can create a really long-lasting wound and I think for a lot of the kids that were probably coming at you that way in childhood their parents or people around them or siblings were likely starting to kind of pick them apart and make them think in a negative way about themselves because usually that's a learned behavior kids aren't naturally just mean and aggressive right they need to be in some way patterned it can be Mm -hmm. implicit right doesn't necessarily have to be that obvious it might be for instance for some of you that are at home listening that are moms if your child looks up to you and thinks you're the most beautiful person in the whole world and they idolize you and they see you constantly looking at yourself in the mirror and giving yourself dirty looks or pinching your fat or being like oh I look so fat in this outfit you start to shift their concept of what that means. Because if they think that you're beautiful and you're sitting there telling yourself they're ugly or pinching your fat or speaking terribly about yourself in the mirror, you teach them that concept implicitly. It's not like you're sitting there critiquing their body, but they learn that and they're much more likely to go do that to others. So 100%. I think that and a lot of this kind of message of conformity and really so many things in our, our culture our religious upbringings, our geographic upbringings are really impacting our ability to form a secure identity. Things just Mm -hmm. chip away at it and try to get us to, instead of really sticking with what I would call more our soul identity, like who we came here and printed and ready to be before the world told us what we were supposed to be, 
our whole environment and parenting styles really, I think, up until this generation have been to try to get you to conform into a specific type of group. Like, we're Italian, we're Christian, uh-huh. we're Jews, we're Muslims, whatever it is, it's yeah. very much this, like, we're from the South, we yeah, don't do that. Group your shit in some way. Yeah, group your shit in some way, which really puts you at odds with yourself. So over time, after enough repeated instances and then having a few kids chip away your self-confidence next thing you know you've completely rejected your sense of self and now you're just trying to fit into one of these groups and everything just kind of goes down the tube so it's an I always try to go through that one just see for most people when that last moment is that they recognize it because I have yet to meet a woman that has not been under the age of nine years old so and that's something that by the way I think Jade and I are both really focused on shifting and you know, obviously it's not like we've got a bunch of little kids watching this, but for those of you that are with children, you know, I mean, not like with them at this moment, but have birthed them or care for them, this message is for you because you have the ability to shift this for their generation so that they don't ever do this to their kids. Because what we're dealing with right now are generational wounds that are not magic, they're not a phenomenon. Our parenting primes our kids to see the world a certain way and continue on that same destruction and I am fully committed to making that stop so I know that we have to go teach a workshop and that we've got to wrap it up no but it's getting so good I know but we're gonna do this a million times uh, (laughs) we have to go teach a two-hour deep dive workshop at aloe so we're gonna gonna be burning to the ground when we're finished like a good burning oh yeah and you had to do only you only had one thing that you could do to restore your connection to self and self love what would you do <sighs> one thing it'd be a road trip by myself that's Ew. exactly what i spent my time doing before i met him was just road trips i went to sedona i went to this place in mexico that i go to and i just remember uh going to find love and just falling in love with myself i was like hanging out of roof rooftops um like sunroofs in the car going 90 miles an hour. My hair was whipping myself in the face. I like threw all my makeup out that I brought on the trip and just massively without trying fell in love with myself because I just, gosh, when you, when you pull everyone else's energy out of your body, that's honestly what I think it is. It's just like draining all the stories, draining all the thoughts, draining all the people. And just, then you have no choice but to feel self-love because it's just sitting there at the bottom, but it does take work and you do have to go do the things that you, like everyone that's waiting to find the person to travel with. Fuck that, go travel. Like, you don't know if that mm-hmm. person is waiting in Egypt at the same pyramid that you're waiting at, but, like, you're never going to meet them if you don't start doing those things on your own. So I think my journey was just very quickly more solidified by doing the things that I was wanting to do with someone, which is how I met Danny in the yoga class. So True. So last thoughts here. So let's imagine you're out in the car, right? You're you're claiming yourself love you're on a road trip you don't even know where you're going and I talk about tools to work through this a lot and I'm curious to see before I say what I would do Uh-oh. what you would do in this scenario so let's say you're you know everyone's well aware of the fact that they're not in control of their thoughts all the mm-hmm. time right like we don't everything that 
flies around in our brain. We're not necessarily actively calling it in, like, I want to think about this. Mm-hmm. In fact, I kind of jokingly say that a lot of times our brain is like, Alexa gone wrong, where it's oh like you're God, in love, and then that. your brain is like, we thought you were searching for <laughs> top ten worst Shut breakups up. of all time. And you're like, no, no, oh I'm in love. And they're like, cling, <laughs> top ten worst heartbreaks of all time. Would you like to also have a playlist to accompany this? <laughs> top ten most sad songs ever. Here's your sad memory at ten years old. Exactly. So what would you do in that moment that eventually, because this happens to everybody, what is your tool or what do you do to pull yourself out of that place where your brain starts to eventually lead you down a path that you don't want to go on when you are by yourself because you can't depend on somebody else? What would you do to stop it and redirect to something else? Ironically, I'm going to say this because this is what I do, but I haven't gone all the way through to say, normally like all the things I teach, I've gone to the other side and I'm like, okay, this is what I say would be the best idea or whatever. I let myself feel it and I let myself acknowledge it and I kind of derive where it's from. For example, if I feel like I'm going to be cheated on and the person I'm dating has never or isn't or like, then you can derive, oh shit, this is just me feeling the stakes of being in love with someone, actually having something to lose and going back to the last time that pattern in my life had occurred and I didn't clear it. So all the things I, I dealt with or went through before I was 25, I thought in my mind, because I did the work from 25 to 30 that I had healed, but I'd really just worked on those years. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, well, I mean, I, I already understand where all those things came from, but it doesn't mean I dealt with them. So for me, I acknowledge it, but I don't, what I used to do was I would lock myself in my room for a year, gain 60 pounds on Twinkies, Ho-Hos, and Red Bull. So let's not do that. <laughs> yeah, okay. that's, that's the thing I'm saying not to do. Um, so now I do a small version of that, which is just to feel it, acknowledge, and be, and, and really just, I don't know, to be honest as, as well, like, I just actively seek joy. So, I was going to say, knowing you the way that I do, I actually think that you don't let yourself sink in it I anymore. Say, I, I don't, don't that doesn't think feel I can real. Try and say no, that. I think that you would I'm immediately. trying to give you an answer here. I know, I get it, but I just also know you pretty well, and I, I've, I feel like I've watched, I've been around you enough to watch the moments when inevitably, even if you're not actively listening to them, when these little moments would pop up. I mean, we talked on the phone the other day, and right. we know exactly. So, I always describe it. In your brain, kind of going back to the scenario of playing ping pongs, I think people are clear what that looks and sounds like, right? It's a fast game. You have to be on your A game. Yeah. There are only so many places that you can hit the ball back mm-hmm. before you lose. Mm-hmm. Inside your brain at all times is effectively a ping pong match with you, like your true you, but then also all of the patterned responses and wounds that have ever happened to you. A lot of people would refer to that as your, you know, inner critic, your, you know, harmful self-critique, whatever the word is, it's that dick in your head that's always trying to get you to self-sabotage, procrastinate, yes. expect the worst, um, try to control the future, which you can't ever do because you're not God. All of these voices <laughs> where they're definitively not you. Mm-hmm. They're calling in thoughts that you would never actively call in, mm-hmm. like this Alexa gone wrong. Yes. So I've watched you in moments when inevitably these little moments have come to you. Mm-hmm. I think what I've seen you do just as a reflection from watching you, you now acknowledge it quickly. I don't think you're sitting in it in some no. sort of like active way. True. I think you acknowledge it and immediately speak to the, et- I call it like the etiology of the wound, like where that started. Mm-hmm. What was that starting place? And what is it that you're going to do to either stop that pattern immediately and reorient towards something else 
or literally just shift the narrative or be silent, right? Wow. I feel like there's like three oh, yeah. ways to deal with that. Wow. One it. of them, I, I referred to the stop sign technique, which is if a thought keeps coming at you repetitively, right? Like let's say it's the one that you don't want to have for those of us that have anxiety, which I used to really bad. Those are the ones where you're, let's say you're away from your kids and you're on the plane flying to a business trip and your brain's like, what if this plane dies? What does that sound like? All the things that are definitely not you, right? That is your fear yelling really loudly, really in response to probably feeling love for your children, right? Mm -hmm. So one of the things that you can do when you hear those thoughts, and it's just a simple technique, a lot of the things that I teach require a lot more work than this. This is the the bite-sized one that y'all can take away from this (laughs) podcast, you're welcome, is to immediately imagine a stop sign. And I think people are, they learn on so many different levels that I usually encourage people to visualize a stop sign, hear the word stop, but also physically jolt their body forward so they can keep that image or that sound or that movement until they let it go and make sure that the thought hasn't come back. But one of the caveats here is that our fear patterns are really deep. Mm -hmm. So I describe it like if anyone's ever tried to kill a centipede or a scorpion. Let's use have you done that? Let's use a centipede for example. Do you do that often? I live in fucking Arizona. Yeah, but do you kill them? Why can't you just like I don't relocate them? No, just I don't kill them. We try to we try to Chris relocates them. Okay. You're ruining my analogy, okay, I'm man. I'm so sorry, but I just I, I'm actually, to be quite honest, I'm not an animal or insect killer. I don't know what my <laughs> husband does, but I'm when sorry, I'm not okay. looking. But in this analogy, yes. right, let's acknowledge that our fear pattern in this way is like a centipede, right? So you go and you hit it with a shoe, and you're like, whoo, right? But then you look back, and it's still crawling after you. <laughs> this bitch has so many legs, you could hit it like ten times, right? So you hit it, it's still coming after you. Imagine that the first hit is like stop sign number one, and then you kind of like breathe, and you're like, okay, that thought uh-huh. is gone. But then you, you know, then all of a sudden they do the, you know, safety announcements in the airplane. Now the thoughts come back again, even though you just got rid of it. You've got to hit it with the shoe a second time. It might take three or four or even five times to hit that centipede with your shoe when you're first starting. Or a year, maybe. Some people. Yeah, for some. I think if you're really active about catching this stuff in the moment, eventually... All you'll have to do is even just like think of the fl- sure. like flash of a color red for one second and it's gone. Because yeah, your body actually doesn't, if you meet these fear patterns with a clear resistance and active will to overcome them, your brain will start to learn in time that this is not something that you want and it's actually not something that's meant to keep you safe or it's present. The opposite, it's yeah. the opposite. It's the opposite. So your brain's it thinks it's trying to keep you safe, but it's really actually imprisoning you in your own thoughts. So that stop sign technique, I've watched it work with a lot of people that, I love that. have a lot of issues with their thoughts running away with them. And I've seen a lot of people be able to use even just that simple technique to get a lot more just peace and calm in their head. Because your brain all the time is not supposed to be so full of chatter. Uh-huh. That's exactly. I think that I remember the first time someone told me in yoga class to relax your brain, relax your thoughts. I was like... <laughs> I know it sounds silly, but really, no, no, I'm, no, like, I'm laughing because, like, yeah, yeah, holy shit, like you relax all the body parts, but the mind was what was most annoying active, and yeah. active, yeah. And so, and another thing I think is that I lo- I love thinking about. I know you'll be on the same level of this. Is like the the word comfort zone is so ironic because it's so fucking uncomfortable, totally. And yet it's just like the 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 deep pattern you have, and you you have to use what is it like ten times more glucose to like rehash a new pattern. And so that's what I tell people in yoga class. It's like, 
they won't even try an arm balance. I'm like, well, at some point you need to try and just at least lean, like start something so that you start to build up that, that change. But everyone's trying to go for like the gold. Like they're trying to climb Mount Everest before they've ever like gone for a run. And so I just think that's so smart to put, that's such a, an active movement. And we know, obviously you and I are very passionate about shaking and changing your, your patterning and just your bodily shit. You can say that more eloquently than I can, but just that big change. So thank you. I'm going to, I'm going to do that myself. I mean, I think, I think to a degree you already do it. I do, but I think that's really smart to, to be able to teach it myself and my my classes like if you're in a yoga class or you're in a relationship or something like move do the stop sign like yeah. move Cat, well and just in general catch the thought I really think it's important for people to be more of an observer mm. of their thoughts than to think that their thoughts are exactly. them exactly they are distinctly different and the sooner you can start to listen to the absurdity <laughs> and illogical nature of some of the things flying around in your head the, the sooner yeah and the sadness Locked the sooner up. you're going to be able to reclaim your head as a place of sovereignty where you're like, ah, oh, I am actually here. great. It's nice to be in here. Yeah. I love that. Do we so have to go? we do have, have to, to go, go teach our workshop. If you guys want to look more into Jade, which inevitably you do, Jade's Instagram handle is at Jade and it's Electra, A-L-E-C-T-R-A. We've got a bunch of really cool stuff planned for God this year and next year and beyond and beyond just light years over yeah <laughs> to infinity and beyond. Well, can we hint where we're going to the first two things? Sure. Before? Well, we can tell them where the first two things, okay. just location wise, are going to be. Not. Not. You'd, I can't mouth it because I'm afraid it's going to come out in a little. Don't even. I mean, just say it. Just I'm say what. Say I'm what you October. want. Oh, no, I'm talking about November and January. Yeah, so okay. you can say those locations. Okay, you say it, because now I'm just, like, watched. Now she's in her head. Yeah. So our first two things we have coming up, one's going to be in um, November in New York City at my studio, B Movement. Mm-hmm. That it. one's going to be really exciting. We've got some seriously epic shit planned for mm-hmm. that one. Um, and before you even start to think, like, is this going to be a yoga workshop? No. no. Absolutely <laughs> not. It's no, no, it's not going to be a yoga workshop. Everything we're doing from this point forward is completely experiential to make you engage literally all of your senses and get completely out of this bullshit comfort zone. Because as we just described, your comfort zone is really your complacency zone and it's not a place a that jail. you want to live. It is. It's a jail. And we're saying, let's go. So first one's in New York, second one's in Miami, and then it's all culminating in the biggest adventure <laughs> of all of our lives that we can't talk to you about just yet. Woo! But soon enough. So be sure to follow Jade, and I will see you on next week's episode of The Modern Good. Thanks for hanging with us. Bye. I love you, Jade Electra. Bye, everyone. Thanks for checking out this week's episode of The Modern Good. To find out more about Break Method, head to breakmethod.com, and to check out my workshops and public speaking schedule, busygold.com. I'll see you next week.